0: We so believe in the power of workshops that we would never start designing a landing page without doing a workshop first, because I would just hate the back and forth and going around in circles.
1: Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. I'm one of your hosts,
2: Femke. And I am your other host, Charlie. And on today's show, we're doing something we don't normally do and we have a special guest. We don't normally have guests on the show, but every now and then, like someone comes across our radar who we wanna invite on to have a conversation. And today we have with us Jonathan Courtney, who is the CEO of product design agency called AJ and Smart. He has worked with companies like Lego and Twitter and like the freaking UN. (laughs) And (laughs) we wanted to have him on to talk about how to make design decisions. We touched on this in the last episode, talking about how Femke and I make decisions within our jobs. And uh, Jonathan does something pretty special with workshops. He's actually written a literal book on the topic. Uh, and so we thought he might have some advice for us today on how workshops could come in handy for helping us to make design decisions and get out of like the busy work and like the admin side of our jobs so mm-hmm. that we can actually spend our time being creative, which is obviously what we're here to do. So welcome to the Design Life Podcast. Yay,
0: thank you for having me on here. Thank you, appreciate it. I'm very excited. Yeah,
2: we're excited to have you too. And uh, yeah, like I said, really hoping that you can help us out because um, this is something that (laughs) Emre and I do struggle with at times is making design decisions. I guess I'd love to start off with how workshops came to be your answer to this this problem at work of facing decision paralysis, um, having too much busy work how did how did workshops come out?
0: Well, I think that, first of all that intro kind of did all the heavy heavy lifting for me because you made all <laughs> the connections the that that I would you know spend like an hour trying to make, and you just did it all up front. Is I you know I started my career as a UX designer, um, which it's really weird to think about it. It's ten years ago now. Actually, my let's say my official title was UI designer Ooh, back fancy. then. Uh, still. I was still using Photoshop, and uh, I don't know if you remember like Balsamic wireframes, that software. Ooh, yeah. retro now. <laughs> <laughs> really retro and like Azure and stuff like that. But, but basically, I was um, um, actually, I think my original 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 job title was Web Designer, and then it was like Web App Designer, and then it was UI Designer. And then it was UX Designer. So it slowly built up over the over the first few years of my career. And one of the things that I started to notice is that I stopped enjoying my job pretty much two weeks into every project. (laughs) Oh no. I started an agency with a friend of mine um, from Australia. Uh, We both moved, we were both living in Berlin and we started an agency because this company we're working at, so we're at a startup in Berlin, both as designers. And we were like, these people don't know what they're doing. They don't take design seriously. They don't care about usability. They're, They're stupid, whatever. We're gonna start our own company and it's gonna be like a, you know, utopia of design.
2: Ooh, Everything perfect. Love it.
0: <laughs> Everything will be perfect. AJ and Smart will be the shining light and whatever. Anyway, like three years after starting up AJ and Smart, we were both thinking of shutting it down because we we're like, oh, wait a second. Actually, it just is annoying. Like it's just like doing design projects is so subjective, so political. I mean, we are we are um, heavily focused on uh, corporates. I would include, like, bigger Silicon Valley companies in the corporate thing. I would include Twitter as a corporate and Uber as a corporate. So for me, the the problem was, you know, first of all, we'd always be unbelievably excited when a client would call. And it's like, oh, my God, we've never been able to work with eBay before. We're going to work with eBay. This is so cool. Oh, God, that's so cool. We're going to work on a new product for them. And it was always these because we're, our, our company was focused on the beginning of projects. So we were always working on their new cool stuff. And... Day one was like super exciting, Uh, you know, we're doing the kickoff. Day two is like, okay, so we're starting to see some politics build up already. Uh, You know, week two, we're showing the first kind of sketches, first ideas. Turns out nobody was aligned on anything and everyone's already come up with new ideas in the meantime. And we're like, all right, we got to realign again. Still cool, still cool, all good. A week later... Uh, The new product manager comes in and has talked to their cousin and their cousin likes the color green and and uses (laughs) Tinder. So now that's, (laughs) now that's the interface that we're going to make. And then four weeks after that, myself, my co-founder, like, should, should we try to get out of this project? Because it's going nowhere and it actually just kept happening over and over and over again for the for like actually like 6 years. Um and we were like we were living the dream kind of UX wise because we were working with all these cool companies um but like both of us kind of also dreaded every project. Like there was always, like I would like clench up every time one of these clients would actually sign the contract and we're like all right here we go. You know, here we go. We're going into one of these projects that's going to turn out badly. And and I think the problem was always the same. It wasn't that you know, we were working with stupid people. It wasn't that we were working at stupid companies. The problem was that collaboration, there was like no rules around collaboration at all. Um, it was like, you know, company A would do this form of design thinking um, for the research phase, and uh, but just this one team within this company does personas, but team X in the same company uh, has never lear- heard about a persona and does business model canvas. And uh, team D, they just go right into the right into the screen design and stuff like that. So there was there was like this. Uh, most companies kind of had this ability to collect information pre starting a project, and like you know they would maybe hire McKinsey to do this or something. It doesn't matter. And most companies had the ability to often badly, but sometimes in an okay way, they had a way to execute it, which was agile, right? Eventually um, that started coming in. They had agile development teams. Sorry about the ramble. I know this is a really <laughs> long answer to the question, but I am getting there and then I'll stop talking for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> so we there was this p- piece in the middle that was missing and that was, well, how do you go from, here's the the product manager or the the, the company saying, we want to make this new fashion app to... Having a version of it in your hand that is like a nice high-fidelity prototype, that part's kind of easy, but how do you get everyone on the same page that, yes, this is what we were all talking about? This is the product or this is the feature that we were talking about. Like, we would work on just a new feature for corporates and spend six weeks going around in circles and then maybe six months going around in circles on how to make a wish list or something just because we as the agency, as AJ and Smart, we didn't have the right tools. So, long story short, Okay. We started trying everything. Every design thinking uh, conference and workshop imaginable went to every business model canvas, value proposition canvas, lean canvas.
2: (laughs) All the canvases.
0: We went to all these agile workshops. We spent a lot of money just learning, like how do we just get people aligned so we can fucking sit down in front of the like and, and actually just make the design do the design work which is actually what i like to do i like to sketch it out i like to put it into back then photoshop or sketch and now figma or whatever it doesn't matter and that's the satisfying part for me but we could never get there and we were getting paid right we we're getting paid to like sit in and meet and, and we're consultants we're not cheap for them we're just getting paid to sit in meetings yeah. for weeks doing nothing and actually, by the way, this is an aside and I'm so sorry, I'm just getting very excited. There was a company I was working at and I don't know if you guys have ever done this and it's it's bad, but me and another guy worked there. Um, we were getting like paid as consultants, right? As part of AJ and Smart. And I, I shouldn't admit this, but this was like eight years ago, so it's fine. I was so <laughs> underutilized, like that there were, they used so little of my time. And by the way, this is everyone in companies that I would try to figure out what's the furthest away coffee machine in this complex? It was like one of these big campuses. Oh my gosh. What's the furthest away one and what's the longest, most difficult route I can get to it? And so therefore, how much am I getting paid to go and find a coffee? So I was like, happy to be the coffee guy for everyone. I was like, everybody, I want a coffee, Yeah, no worries. And I just two at a time, you know, two at a time. So yeah, back to this. So really underutilized, really sick of it, really bored. And so myself and my co-founder were like, trying all these different things and they were kind of working. And finally we were like, you know what, this actually sucks. This is like, maybe like he, he was, he was actually a musician and I was kind of thinking of going to filmmaking. So we were just like, maybe just just quit and do something different. Um, we were like super down on it. Then we were flying to our client, actually Lufthansa, which is kind of, uh, we were flying to them to do a normal UX project. And I had the sprint book with me, which I hadn't read yet. It had just come out. And I literally just read most of it on the flight to them. And I was like, holy shit, like, Michael, this is the shit. This is the missing piece of the jigsaw that we've been going around in circles for for the last few years. And so we landed in uh, Frankfurt uh, at the Lufthansa office and basically instead of doing the we're going to do this like innovation workshop for them or something i can't even remember we actually just presented uh the idea of doing a design sprint to them they're very interested in it by the way thank you Lufthansa for just like fully swapping the project around to a design sprint and uh we got to do our first design sprint with them and we realized that within a week by the way in uh, in a week we didn't have the final product but in a week we had Mm -hmm. everyone aligned and we didn't have to Mm -hmm. talk to them every day and keep getting misaligned so Within a week, we were able to say well this is the direction so myself and my co-founder could go away and actually do the design work for the next six weeks come back to the client and this is usually the bit where I'm sweating I'm like oh god the presentation I bet you in the meantime one of their friends saw some feature in Pornhub and now they want that in the app for some reason I should say by the way that's that's not related to Lufthansa you're all very lovely I was just trying to make a joke anyway Pornhub and <laughs> and now they're like okay actually we actually saw this new thing and we want that in the app now as well but actually what happened was we Presented to them, and they were like, Yeah, this is exactly what we're looking for. Great.
2: Because you're all aligned at the start. And not only that,
0: they were part of the design process, which I was very suspicious about. Yeah. I was very suspicious as like a, I was like arrogant. I mean, I, I still come across as arrogant now, but I was a very arg- arrogant UX designer where I was like, You know, I'm fighting for the user. Everyone else is stupid. No one else knows what's going on. I am the UX designer. You're all dumb. Um, and actually, that's why I was a bit against having. Um, people from my client teams mm-hmm. sketching right mm. in the end it was the best thing I ever did and so over the next few months we decided that actually what AJ and Smart is and what we do means that we only run projects now if you allow us to do a sprint up front and we've been doing it like that since 2016.
2: So it's obviously working out well. <sighs> oh,
0: Jesus. <laughs> That's the end of the story. So
2: basically, the answer, like to sum that up, is you, <laughs> you you suffered through a lot of issues, right? And there was a lot of a lot of problems and projects and like I don't know stuff you had to slog through in order to be in a place where you were looking for this solution.
0: Exactly, it was it was very painful trial and error for for years and years and years. Um, it, was, it was just like enough hate built up that um, that it just started to like. It was like, let's either shut this down or try something different.
1: And how do you get everybody on board to do this? Like quite a lot of our listeners, they they sometimes struggle with a bit of skepticism from their teams when they want to introduce a new process or try something different. I mean, the benefits are obviously really clear, You're getting everybody on the same page, making decisions, getting alignment. But how do you have any tips for how you might introduce that if it's a totally new concept for somebody at their company?
0: Yeah, so we got lucky that that was sort of the, or unlucky, that we were sort of pioneering, at least for our clients, this topic of design sprints. So no client wanted to do it, really. Like, they were just like, eh, whatever. Yeah,
2: can you just make the thing for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or or
0: they were like, oh, we already did design thinking on it. And and we're, and we're then we're like, okay, we have to somehow work our way around this.
2: Yeah, you only think about something once, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> how that works. yeah.
0: And so what we did actually was we created this exercise called Lightning Decision Jam, which was a was taking all of the kind of like the quick wins the f- good the good feelings you get from a design sprint and crushing it down to a one hour me- uh, meeting kind of structure and we would basically offer clients and that's actually how we uh, did it with uh, Lufthansa so when we landed, we ran this like crushed down version of a design sprint and we ran it on a kind of small topic like how might we improve the um, design of the kitchen so it's more collaborative or something like that. And they were like, oh, wow, like this would have been something we would have had to talk about for weeks and weeks and weeks. And now I've got this like drawing and I'm actually really excited about it. And we're like, yes, yeah, so that's the idea. It's the, the the principles that you just saw in practice there is the idea of a design sprint. So usually we'll, or back then at least, we would assume they don't want to do it. We would assume, because you, ha- you have to just assume that what you're presenting to them is not interesting. And you have to think about it from their perspective. They want to look good, right? They, the people on the team... You want to make them look good, so you don't want they don't want to do a process that might seem like a waste waste of money or slow things down. So what we offer them, or what we still offer even today, sometimes is that we'll go and we'll ask them, hey, when do you when do you have team retrospectives? And they're like, oh, we do it like once per month, uh, the, the first Friday of every month, or or never. And or and if it's never, we're like, well, you should do a team retrospective, and we'll come and run it for you. And uh, we usually do it remote over uh, Miro. And honestly, at the end of that session uh you know the end of that one and a half hour session essentially the sales pitch starts. I say, well, you felt how good that was. That's how a design sprint feels. I basically say things like, Imagine if you were able to do if you'd been able to do that for the previous product you worked on. And then they're like, oh so I guess the bullet point answer is don't try to sell um oh yeah and the other thing I'm sorry, I'm just thinking back to the sales calls when I was still doing sales. Um, What I always say as well is that this is not a process change for your company. This is a plug-in and play tool that you should only use when you have a problem that's big enough. So keep everything you have, like a lot of people come uh, into companies and we used to do this as well. And it's like, we're the digital transformation agency. We're going to teach you all design thinking and then we're going to document everything. And then all of you have to stick to this. We come in and we say, we'll teach you this one thing and you can use it whenever you want. But also I'm recommending, we even say, I recommend you don't do more than four of these per year. And then they feel like it's very non-committal and they don't worry so much about it.
2: That's a really smart way to pitch it because like uh, changing processes, especially in a big company, I'm thinking back to the bigger companies I've worked at. Yeah. And like it's like a a giant truck, right? That's like hard to get moving and it's really slow to start turning those wheels. So
0: frustrating. And if you're if you're like a very short attention span, very impatient person like me, the the effort and years it would actually take to turn a company it's just not worth it for me, and I, I and and I tried it myself and my co-founder tried angles where, you know, we had two year long contracts with clients where we helped them build their innovation labs. What a bad idea that was! <laughs> but like things like that where we literally try to change their company culture um, from a design perspective, and after a while we were just like, you know what? Let's just respect that these companies are slow moving and that they have their like. It's not a bad thing that they're slow moving it's also cuz they own this part of the market they've got amazing assets they can do amazing things um but we shouldn't we shouldn't be arrogant enough to think we can actually turn things around here if mckinsey can't do it we can't do it all right
1: so it sounds like you know you you bring in these workshops sort of at the beginning stages of a project or or a design process what about after the workshop what happens next like how do you bring everything you learned everything you aligned on into the next phase of the project what does that kind of look like
0: in the beginning it was a disaster <laughs> because we w- we would just do it and run and never like you know we're out of there and we would just hand it over to the internal team and the internal team would have the burden of having to like siphon through it all and figure out what to do today at aj and smart we only offer four-week projects and the four-week project is basically perfect for well basically week one is like pre research just to understand who all the stakeholders are understand like the potential customers all this kind of stuff week two is the first design sprint week three is an iteration sprint because the first design sprint is always just like crazy and like loads of ideas but never actually Super, Mm -hmm. super useful. So the third week is this kind of iteration sprint. And the fourth and final week, we spend an entire week customizing a delivery so that they exactly know how to take it to the next steps. We basically create a very simple document that says, this is the MVP. This is maybe version two. But first do this, here's all the raw files. Here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. Here's what we would recommend uh, as your backlog, but you can prioritize the backlog yourself. But this is our recommended prioritization of the backlog. And we actually do that with the team. So it isn't a good idea to do the dump and run approach that we used to do. Most clients were fine with it, but some gave us really good criticism that it was like, yeah, you guys come in, everyone's super excited and then you disappear and then everyone's like confused. Um, so yeah, we we now create like a very clear handover um, document, which is essentially, it, it's kind of almost like what would be created at the end of a, a longer design project to hand over to the developers. But this is also optimized so that the executives know why decisions were made. Right. So that if a des- if an executive's like... Why is the wish list blah, blah, blah. Oh, wish lists are my nightmare, by the way. And it's like, oh, well, this is the reason because this, 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 and here's how it works in Pinterest and here's how it works here. And based on the conversion rate and blah, 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 it's all in the document. So the designers aren't left hanging with a lot of the stuff that we might've created. And the other thing I would just say is the design sprint is one recipe, right? It's like 30 exercises strung together into a recipe, into a, a workshop. And I think that's the way you should look at it. I think it's a very good recipe for validating and starting projects, but you need different and often custom workshops for uh, different types of companies. So I think that's the, I'm not trying to bring up the book by the way, but that's the point of the book is to teach you how do you build your own custom workshops based on a set of principles and based on what your company needs. So that that's kind of the, you know, the aftercare of the design sprint is, you know, custom workshops then.
1: Yeah, I find, so I, I work at Uber and it's a very big company. And uh, like kind of what you were touching on earlier about how every team kind of has their own way of doing things. I experience a lot of that in in my role. And so it it can be really hard to like get all of those cross-functional teams together and like work on a process when everybody has their own kind of process. And we've done a few things like, sprints or jams but they often don't really have any clear outcome we kind of just get together and do the thing and then we all go back to our normal jobs and don't really come back to a line or figure out what next steps are um, so yeah that's something that's been really challenging for me a little bit and so yeah i'm curious how something like this this workshop methodology could maybe come into play there it would be really interesting
0: i think um you know the what you're describing is how it is at every company and i also tell my like we work for uh, corporates that are also not exciting you know like and and they're they always think they're the only ones they're like oh we're from an old industry um you know it's really messy here like you know it's like really ca-. i'm like look believe me the silicon valley yep. companies are just <laughs> as all over the place um there's sort of the only difference is that they're moving maybe a little bit faster um and they're new but at a certain point this like cruft builds up right and the it's just it isn't and, and that's the thing i also want to make clear is like it's it's almost, in my opinion, impossible to solve that on a company structure level. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: From inside all of these companies, who even have excellent from the outside uh, standardized systems, that it still doesn't work. Uh, everyone just does their own thing. So that's the for me why I think it's it's more on a on the individual to try to you know incentivize these teams to maybe want to run workshops. Um, but I you know if if I was in a company full time right now i wouldn't I wouldn't bother trying to systemize things or try to force everyone to do the same thing. I would almost just I would be the workshopper I would say I would be the person offering hey i by the way, you guys, you're starting a project next week on this new feature. I'd love to volunteer that I facilitate this uh, kickoff um, and the reason I would do that is because and, and i've I've seen this at Lego actually. Um, Once you're seen as the person who can come in and help others do their work better and with less annoyance, you are wanted all the time for every project. And it's just like also a great uh, it's also a great career move because you become like the catalyst for getting work done better. And I think companies are missing Right now there's agile coaches right now there are design thinking coaches in in some country uh countries (laughs) companies but i i think this facilitator role is missing um where it's like you know this team that's working on this new headset or something is like oh we've got all these crazy ideas and like we want to try to work on something and let's just get together next week and you know so that we don't have to all talk over each other and go around in circles and be really annoyed um, should we call in Femka for the next, should we see if Femka is bookable for the next two days? That would be, I think, ideal to have in every company.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is giving me a lot to think about. Totally. Like we don't really have this role of facilitator. Often it's kind of dumped on the designer to like facilitate sessions. But yes. The designer's not yeah. always prepared to, to play that role and the role of designer at the same time. So yeah, it's hard.
0: It's a separate role. And, and by the way, I can tell you from... So we're a tiny company, we're 24 people. And, you know, we're getting called in to fill this role. But we can't because we're mm. too small, right? We, we just mm. can't be that company for people. And I'm also not ambitious enough to have seven offices. I really don't really want to do that. So that's why we moved in direct the direction of saying, well, let's try to popularize this as a potential role in companies so that other people can do it and we can be the company who like does the R&D in the background figuring out which workshops work and all that but I do see and and just from a financial point of view when we are called into companies there's a massive crazy demand for this role but because there's no name for it you have to convince people that they need this role which is what you know my YouTube channel does what your podcast that's what content is for content like why would i write a book like this yeah well i want companies to know that they want to call a workshopper right i think that's like it comes down to there is demand but they're calling agile coaches right that's what's happening they're hiring agile coaches and when i ask them why they hired an agile coach they're like yeah because our team just never gets anything done i'm like yeah but that's not what the agile coach's job is (laughs) the kanban's uh kanban's not going to fix this problem um yeah, and by the way, I've seen um, uh, a lot of agile coaches um, turn into these workshopper style mm-hmm. or facilitation consultants or collaboration consultants. And they they have a really easy transition because they're so used to being, actually project managers, product managers, uh, agile coaches have a very, very easy transition over to this workshopper role as well.
2: I was thinking project managers before when you were talking about it, this seems like a natural um Evolution of that role within yeah, companies. Yeah, I,
0: I think so, and it's just not. Again, companies just don't know they need it yet, and they will.
2: They'll get there. I want to talk about uh, small companies for a second. You mentioned the AJ and Smart is a small, small company. I work for a small company. Well, you know, comparatively in tech, uh, ConvertKit where I work is about fifty something people.
0: Oh my god, you work at ConvertKit. <laughs> I do. I'm sorry. I'm I'm the worst at the research, but I love, I really love ConvertKit. We use it at AJ and smart. And I just watched like, I watched like a two hour interview or one hour interview with your CEO on, uh, on YouTube, like three days ago.
2: Good old Nathan. Well, Nathan is another one of the very few guests we've had on this show. So, you know, you're joining, (laughs) joining the ranks.
0: Oh my God.
2: (laughs) How like, would you recommend starting off with workshops or like, you know, Where does this fit in in a smaller company? So we don't have... um, I work on the marketing team. I'm the marketing design lead. I'm the only marketing designer. And the people working on our marketing website are myself and then the developer that I work with, Corey.
0: We're doing a pretty good job.
2: Should we be running a workshop (laughs) with just us two? How can we sort of get some of the benefits of um, the things you teach without having a big team to be involved with it?
0: I'm glad you asked that. So we just internally at AJ and Smart, we use uh, workshops to design all of our landing pages. Uh, don't look at ajsmart.com for that as a good example, but all of our like sales funnels are designed in a workshop environment. Um, these are actually part of some sales funnel workshop we were doing recently.
2: Jonathan is pointing to some <laughs> post-it notes on the board behind him, by the way, for audio listeners.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, exactly. And there's some there's some like landing page sketches as well here. Um, So we actually do run like mini sprints or LDJ sessions um, where, you know, what we'll do, for example, to design a landing page, what we will do, or if we're thinking about like um, a new marketing campaign, uh, you may be targeted with our ads all the time. Um, We don't just produce those on the fly. We actually do workshops and then come up with like 500 ads and then shoot them all. So, what we're doing is, like, for example, in the morning, we'll come up with like the goal that we all agree on. Then we'll actually spend like two hours doing lightning demos, which is just looking at benchmarks, looking at other websites, looking at other people's stuff, um, printing out what we find interesting and And because we're we're doing it like as a designer, as an impatient designer, I would often skip that step, or I would do a bit of it. but when I'm in a workshop environment, even with just one or two other people, being forced to do lightning demos and present it back to people and say, this is why I think the copy here is interesting. I actually like the placement of the the, the, the value ads here are really nice. I like the way they present the the money here um, or the price and, and things like that. And I think at AJ and Smart, what I really love about it is that we're so like, we so believe in the power of workshops that we would never start designing a, la- a landing page without doing a workshop first, because I would just hate the back and forth and going around in circles so what we try to have at the end of a day it's usually just one day um, for the landing page design what i want to have at the end of the day is a drawing like this Uh, it's just a straight up sharpie drawing that we've all kind of agreed on including the copy that we would want to use and then i give that to bruna who designs all of our landing pages and she basically creates it And rather than before where I would say, I kind of like this and kind of like that. And then she shows it to me. I'm like, actually, no, that's not what I want. Now we use workshops and and bits and pieces of custom workshops to do all of that stuff. So, you know, if you look at workshopper.com, if you look at any of our landing pages, any of our sales stuff, every single thing was designed first in a workshop.
2: And who was involved in those workshops?
0: So we would have, for a landing page, um, which is, I think, by the way, the most common workshops we have internally are landing pages or um, marketing funnels. So even like an email campaign or something like that, we had a, a, um, the book launch as well was basically a funnel. Um, So the... What we'd have, in, who we'd have in the room would be Laura, who's sort of the would actually fill your role. She's, she's sort of like the head of marketing and all, makes all the decisions on all of the marketing stuff. Um, then we'd have a designer, so someone who's actually going to design the website. Um, actually, she's doing it all in. Um, uh, Webflow now. So we don't have a developer nice. in the room. <laughs> um, so she's the one woman design team for all of our landing page stuff. Um, and then we we'll often as well have like uh, someone who's doing our Facebook ads in the room. So the person who's like in charge of, w- if it's a cold, if it's going to be cold advertising funnel, we want to have the person who's in charge of whichever channel we're going to focus on. Because we actually at the end of the day, we want to have an example ad we want to have an example landing page and we want to see the funnel and draw out the entire funnel. So it's just whoever we think is relevant for that marketing uh, campaign. And we do this for clients as well, by the way, like little marketing sprints. And we just try to figure out like who are the people we can have in the room so we don't have to explain (laughs) this again to someone else. Mm. That's it. In the end, I just don't want to have to re-explain this drawing to someone, I want them to be a part of drawing their own thing. And, and like, and it's like, actually, also, we, we usually have the uh, head of support in the room as well. He actually lives in uh, South Africa. So in the room is on the laptop. And uh, he's able to write really good copy for us because he answers like 100 support tickets a day and knows what shit the customers like and hate. And so he's like often writing some of the copy that we end up using
2: as I'm listening to you say this, I'm like, this sounds amazing, but I'm already coming up with excuses about why this wouldn't work for us. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everyone does.
2: Yeah. Like, I don't know, convincing people to take a full day off working on their things that they have to do. Oh no,
0: don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. So, well, well, what I would say is what I would say is that it, you have to present it to them in a different way, yep. presenting it to them by saying, you know, Imagine, you know, imagine a calendar week of Monday to Friday. Let's say this project is going to be finished in 2 weeks no matter what. Let's say the date of release of this landing page is set no matter what. You can you have two options. One is we front load all of the decisions so 80% of the team doesn't even have to think about it anymore. So front front load it all into Monday. And then 80% of the team can walk away and not think about it anymore. Or you can spread it out over the entire two weeks so that you're constantly getting distracted and pulled away from the thing you want to do um, when actually we just need you. And, and usually, you know, usually it's just like four hours or something like that. We just need you for four hours. I don't even call it a workshop. I call it a strategy session or a kickoff session. I just would rather present it to people as a better, and more efficient use of time and not as a big, complicated, annoying, uh, schedule-destroying event. Um, so yeah, like I'll, you know, it, it could be that I just want my uh, head of support in the room to show us some in the lightning demo section. Hey, show us what you think would work for us better than what we're doing today. That's one hour. Okay, goodbye. Um, but yeah, just you know, you what you can do is you can show like a you can show a calendar and say like. I'll take... It's just this four-hour block or it's bits and pieces all over the place on Slack and...
2: But it all would add up to that anyway.
0: Yeah, it it would add up to more and more distraction and more annoyance. I love that I can call... I can get called into a four-hour meeting like Laura, our head of marketing. She can just call me into a four-hour meeting and that's it for the whole month. Whereas before I would micromanage every tiny little piece of it and also I wouldn't enjoy it. But now she gets... She, she can get all the information out of me in one go. And then she's like, all right, Jonathan, are you satisfied now? Okay, you can go away. And we can do our real work. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm satisfied that I've gotten all my information out and, I, and that I've been listened to and stuff. So I think, um, yeah, it's, it's either front-loaded and then extreme efficiency and also less thinking and everything. And also, by the way, I also say, um, hey, I'm facilitating it you can pretty much sit back and relax and just give me information when you need it. So that's the other thing is the, as a workshopper, your job is to make the experience super enjoyable for them. One of the things that makes workshops so tiring or or meetings so tiring is that everyone has to the whole time think about is, should I talk now? What's happening next? Like, is it like is that like that person who's the extrovert, they'll just figure it all out, right? I actually know the answer, but I know that this person will talk over me. And and there's like this weird political thing going on with this person. So I'm just not going to talk. And, uh, you know, she's the intern. So maybe she shouldn't talk either. And like, there's all these weird dynamics that are secretly bubbling in the background. When you facilitate, you just remove this layer and everyone can actually just put all of their brain power on the problem, which is actually more interesting and enjoyable. So what I say is, hey, by the way, when I walk into the room, by the way, I even have a worse situation. A client books me and then I walk into the room and everyone in the room is like this fucker. Like, why is he here? Like, I could have done this myself. And what I say is, hey, everybody, I'm Jonathan. I'm actually here just to make your meeting more enjoyable. You have all the information. You are like, I'm the guide. I'm not coming in here to solve your problems. But what I am going to do is, is make this meeting just feel very smooth for you. And I'm going to take, take all the heavy lifting off of you. I'm going to document everything. I'm going to fucking photograph everything for you. All you got to do is just give your skill that, you know, you are really good at. And, uh, I, and I also say, and you're going to feel at the end of this, like, you, you know, you're going to feel way less tired than you usually do because you don't have to talk a lot either. Developers love that bit as well.
1: Yeah, that sounds like listening to you talk about that. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Like trying to picture that in in my work environment. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it would take off so much of the the heavy lifting, the weight, the even like the dynamics, yeah. the political things at play that you mentioned can sometimes be really draining.
0: Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, it sounds amazing. I need to figure out how to bring this into my team.
2: Yeah, and on my side as a like you know design team of one on on the marketing side. For me, I love the sound of having other people more involved in the process, yes. you know? I feel like so often it's just me and my computer like stressing over, should it be here or should it be here on the screen, you know? Getting more feedback and more input, having other people just as invested in the project sounds like a dream.
0: And it's faster, it's, it's more efficient because um, the like our designers never have to sit down at their screen and just make something from scratch the whole team and it's it's like one of those things where people usually ask hey isn't that designed by committee no it isn't because a works, it works in the end it is anyway because you make the thing you want and then the team is like nah we're changing it anyway and eventually it's compromise 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 so it's nothing like you started it out no matter what You know, you show it and it's like, oh, legal can't accept this because this and this and this and this and this. I'm (laughs) sure at Uber, you know about that. Every design change means you have to go through legal. And that's pretty much every company. And and often what we do in in these sprints is we recommend, hey, bring someone from legal into the fucking room so they can tell us, especially when we're working on banking apps. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to go around 10 times and change a button's text 50 times until legal can tell me. Okay, yes, the font size is okay. And yes, the GDPR rule is okay now. But yeah, I, th- I think the 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 point is, as a workshopper, your goal is to be the guide. And that, that's the thing of, you know, being Gandalf rather than Frodo. You're there to unlock their superpower. You're not there to show off how good you are. This was my mistake in the beginning as being... I, I was a workshopper and I thought I thought my job was to show off and show how good a designer I am and how like confident I am and all that kind of stuff. And now I'm like, I'm here so that you enjoy your work more. And I also say to the people who want to become workshoppers or the people who want to become facilitators within their company, don't do it for your company. Don't do it for changing your whole company. Do it so that that one small team you're doing it with has a better life and enjoys their work more. And I and I, I think that's like something where at AJ and Smart, we've, we've become more humble and taken a step back and we're like, I'm satisfied if three people at this company now like their life better because they know how to do this. I don't care if the other 20,000 people never heard of it.
1: Yeah it's interesting though I find things can naturally or organically spread throughout throughout a company too. Like I've seen things happen at Uber where one team tried this specific thing and then a few months later they create a playbook around about it, and that kind of gets circulated around. So, yeah, I kind of like that idea of just starting small with a small group of people. You don't need to go in and, and tackle the, the entire company, but kind of starting like a seed and letting that organically filter out throughout, you know, the rest of the company is, is a nice approach.
0: A hundred percent. If I try even even at AJ and Smart, if I forced people to do workshops, um, they would hate them. Like I, you know, I come into the office and in every room there's people standing around with post-its like (laughs) finance meeting is post-its everywhere. Like, you know, like a strategy meeting, like it's, it's cool because everyone is no one at AJ and smart now would ever start a complicated project without first doing a a, a workshop just to gather the information and, and have everyone on the same page or else you're just going around in circles. And that was the thing I always hated. Number one, it's very satisfying to be this person who helps people get things done in a way because they, they come up to you and they're like, oh my God, I've never, like, that's like, the the common thing you'll hear is, this would have taken us X months before. That's the common thing we hear all the time. Right. And they're (laughs) so thankful for you to come and just do that for them. And and by the way, it's not rocket science either. It is just learning. There's like four things to learn. Number one is how do you design custom workshops? Number two is how do you facilitate? And I think a lot of people, you don't, you can be introvert, extrovert, that doesn't matter. Uh, Number three is like, what are all the different exercises. So like just having like a catalog of exercises that you can Google and put into a Google doc. That's what we, at AJ and Smart, we have a Google doc of 100 exercises that we constantly update. So it's like, okay, we need to do this type of strategy. Okay, business model canvas will probably work, but let's just take the first part of it and then add this in and that this in. And then the fourth thing is like having the recipes. And one of these recipes is a design sprint. And if you have a recipe like the design sprint, then you can break that up. Like imagine it as a, I don't know, it's like a, a nice uh, halloumi salad. And, <laughs> Ooh, <yum. laughs> yeah. and you decide, you know what? This week I'm going to like put chicken instead of halloumi. You know, you have the basic, you know how to make it, but you can remix it if you know how to run like the these bigger workshops like the design sprint. It really helps you um, improvise as well because it can happen that you're in the middle of a workshop and you realize, oh, mm. that's not going the way I hoped. And then you just need to take like a U-turn and go in a different direction. So it's, it's those four things. It's not, and by the way, I don't see it as a, I think it's an additional skill. It's like a, it's like a power up. So I'm still a product designer and product strategist at heart, but actually the thing I get paid for is, is to be this workshop facilitator these days, like in terms of what people call me for. they don't they yeah they they want me to do some product stuff for them and yes they want us to actually do the design work and create the screens and all that kind of stuff but that's not what they care about when the project is over they care about can't believe our team got aligned on this fucking thing this like should uh, how do we do the subscription service how do we integrate that into this blah 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 like uh, we were talking about this for seven months and now now we just have it and And I'm like, yeah, it's you, you, the team had that answer all along. You just didn't have any operating system to like plug into so that these things come out so that these ideas come out.
1: I love it. That's so valuable. Like that outcome of just knowing that is probably the most valuable thing.
0: I mean, this is the topic I've been excited about for years. Um, and I think it's like, it's just seeing the reaction on people's faces. That's the thing. So like, even in like even when we go to places where you know when i come to silicon valley which probably won't happen for a while now i get thanks I, like, the coronavirus <laughs> exactly <laughs> but like the first time i went there maybe the first four or five times i went there i was super nervous because i was like like these companies don't need this right they're already so cool they're so advanced they're like like they m- invented all of this stuff and then you go in And of course, and they also feel like annoyed that you're there. Like the designers, especially, you know, who hates me the most is user researchers. They always hate when I go in and at the end of day one, they're coming up to you and they're like, Oh my God. Like, like instead of what the start of the day was like threatened, you know, they're threatened and they don't like me being there. At the end of the day, they're asking their boss, can we be there more often Yeah, Uh, so that they can just do their fucking work? And that's the, that's the exciting part of it. And you know, there's companies like Google now who um, have have started to develop like teams of facilitators that can be booked, but it's still not like something where it's like really understood throughout that entire company or most companies at this point. I think actually, weirdly enough, two of the companies that have taken it on really, really well are both Nordic companies. One is Lego, and one is called Tetra Pak. They they make the the tetra packs, <laughs> tetra packs. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh there's a woman called helen um i don't know her full name i should check um, but you can find her on linkedin helen tetra Pak. she's posting all the time we did a training with her two years ago and she took that and said all right i'm the person who does this in the company now wow and she's been training everyone she's the workshopper at this company awesome and it's cra- it's so cool actually what's really cool is so we trained her two years ago And like last week I was on a webinar and she was like the person giving (laughs) the talk on how to do this in corporate. So it's just super cool to see once someone realizes, holy shit, there's a different way to do this stuff that I always found really annoying. Uh, Cause you do feel helpless. I felt so helpless working in companies. I was like, you know, we'd sit around in a circle and like five people, product manager, some marketing, whatever. And I'm just like, Ugh, I'm just waiting for this meeting to end so that I can go back, ignore everything I heard, and get back to making my design. That's the way I used to think. It was almost like we're fighting each other a little bit, like it was like almost like a battle, and everyone just always went back to doing what they wanted to do in the first place. Actually, I felt like the meetings were fake
2: right it was just a front yeah. everyone's <laughs> pretending to collaborate but really everyone's going to stick to their own lane and just do their own thing we are
0: yeah. we are getting we're really synergizing here but actually as soon as we leave the meeting me and the other ux designer are like so what the fuck was the point of that and the other ux designer is like should we i actually found this really long way to get to the coffee <laughs> machine <laughs> it's gonna take three years <laughs> So yeah. It's... Let's go get a coffee. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Let's go get a coffee for the entire company.
1: Man, I've learned so much in this. This wow. has given me so much to think about and uh, how I might introduce this to my team and, and to Uber even. I love the idea of having this like workshopper, this facilitator to really help like drive these decisions, get alignment. It just sounds like a dream. So I'm, I'm
2: really excited to learn more about this. Thanks for so much that you shared. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan.
0: Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> I'm very excited.
2: I feel like on on my side, I am thinking about ways that I can bring like like obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna read your book first off. Yeah. Like, learn how I could possibly do this. Yes. And use it as a way to bring other people into projects. Cause like I said, that's one of my main issues at the moment is it's just me working on something. Everyone trusts me completely, which is great. Yeah. But also it's like gets really lonely designing by yourself and you can get all up in your head. Totally. About making decisions. And so having more input and more people feeling involved, even though they're not designers, sounds sounds wonderful.
0: And in the end, you know, I didn't... I, earlier I said there's like, you know, two reasons for doing it. One is that it's a very satisfying thing to do. Number two, it's also, I think, the highest paid uh, creative job that exists, honestly. I, I, I don't see another one out there that it has the same day rates and like people who leave aj and smart their day rates are crazy like we had one of the heads of sales at aj and smart um he left like two years ago after learning the design sprint um you know he, he was part of our workshops because he was there to upsell people and he left and he just changed his job title on linkedin to design sprint facilitator and he's getting like He's, first of all, he's making more money than me. Uh, I'm running the company. He's making way more money than me being a freelancer. And he's only working like four days a week. Uh, sorry, four days a month. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> going and facilitating kind of odds and ends and random things. He's like, he's like, he, he's, he allowed me, he allows me to talk about this because it's like Success an amazing story. kind of, um, and I'm not, yeah. And I'm not also saying his name, so it doesn't actually matter. Um, but he makes, he makes like $18,000 a month facilitating like four to five days in the entire month
1: that's not bad
0: <laughs> it's shocking it's shocking and it and like by the way like if i wasn't running such a big company here that those are the day rates right those are the day rates like they're paying me eighteen thousand euro. Or the company i get like three <laughs> euro out of that by the way but like they're, they're paying me like 18k to come and do a three-hour workshop so these the demand is insane People just don't know, like people just contact us because we're like the de facto people who are putting out that content. And like, we're the ones are saying like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a design spirit facilitator or whatever. Um, but don't underestimate just how powerful it is to be a person who can help other people do better stuff. Like that, that's the crazy, it's like, what I'm saying in the book is, you know, you help other people unlock their superpowers and that is invaluable. Like even even shit like that I've been, I, I, I've been invited to the weirdest shit as well because of this. Like I got invited to a CEO retreat in Japan. Amazing. Right? Whoa. I was only facilitating for two hours. And th- this is like, and once the company, and I went into that company to do design work, as soon as someone in the company is like, oh, this person, this is like, ah, oh, I could apply it to this and this and this. They just never stop calling you. And that's what starts happening in companies as well. Like as soon as you're seen as that person, it's like this massive effect of, okay, we need to call this person. Okay, okay, okay. And they're like fighting for your time eventually, which is which is cool. Which is, I think, um, also, at least from my perspective, I still love uh, UX design. I still love being a product designer. I still personally... Um, I'm part of like sketching out product interfaces because I love that. But where I think the most feedback and value I'm giving to the clients is really that helping them make decisions, helping them get aligned. This is, this is where sort of this, the, at least I think when they're paying us 90% of the budget goes to those first two days. And then the rest is like us, like, honestly, I don't think we're the best design agency, right? I, I think that, uh, by the way, our designers are really good. <laughs> hey, designers. But like, we're not, we're not even trying to sell that we're like doing the highest quality UI and UX work. We, we don't even talk about that because for us, the way we're presenting it to them is like, okay, right now the market is so saturated. You can probably find a million amazing designers everywhere. Right. But it's super hard to find the, the workshoppers and the workshop facilitators.
2: Yeah, yeah, your um, like benefit there is the efficiency, right? And the fact that the team that you go in and work with is going to learn things that they can apply to later projects as well.
0: And what I also say to them is, look, you don't ever need to hire me again after this right. because your team will know how to do it. Um, but they still do because they want this unbiased, like non-team member helping them out.
1: Amazing. So where, where can our listeners go to, to learn and find out more about you and, and the book,
0: anywhere on the internet uh i think youtube aj and smart just search aj and smart on youtube that's where um we're putting out a new video every tuesday and i'm very excited i I have a new new setup here there's going to be a better camera here soon so i'm going to be doing even more videos um so yeah we've been pumping out new videos for the last three years every tuesday so that's the probably the place where the most updates are happening the book is called the workshopper playbook if you're listening to this after june 2020 i guess just google it and and go on amazon or whatever if you're listening to it before june 2020 you can go to workshopper.com forward slash book and you can get a copy of it you just pay the shipping so you pay well it depends where you live but it's never more than like nine dollars nice so you can get a free copy of it plus you get uh you get a free copy of it but you pay the shipping. But that's only until we sell out of that batch. So it depends. <laughs> but still, go to, wor- go to workshopper.com forward slash book. And even if we're sold out, we'll link to Amazon. But yeah, it's a, it's a quick like one and a half hour read and teaches you everything you need to know about becoming a workshopper in like like one short plane ride, which we'll never <laughs> be taking again. And you'll have everything you need to, to run your first workshop.
2: We'll link to that in the show notes of this episode as well, as well as the YouTube channel. Thanks for being here, Jonathan.
0: Th- thanks so much for having me. This was a really enjoyable show for me. And I, I know I hogged a lot of it just because of the coffee <laughs> excitement. <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate uh, you both having me on. It was really fun. And um, yeah, good luck with everything.
1: Thank you. Amazing. So, listener, if you want to listen to more episodes of Design Life, you can go to designlife.fm. We are also on Twitter at Design Life FM. We'd love it if you shared this episode. Make sure you tag us and thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.